Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wake Up Calls with myself, David McLeod, and my good friend, Lina Orlando. I am in Meridian, Idaho, and Lina is now somewhere in an unusual place. So I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us where you are. Yes, I am Lina Orlando, and uh, today I happen to be in Colorado, in Frisco, a beautiful little town, 9,000 feet elevation. So I am in the Rocky Mountains because this is where my grandbaby lives. So to get to play with my grandson, I have to come to Colorado. And uh, now they do come to Atlanta fairly regularly. Actually, they're going to be going back with me and staying there for a little bit. But today I'm not in my normal home in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, at least so 9,000 feet, that's pretty rarefied air. You must feel very enlightened. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. And I definitely get winded even coming up the stairs in the house. I get a little winded because the air is, it really is so light. Um, my grandson, it's typical for the babies to be on oxygen when they're born. He was on oxygen for about three months. And um, I, I've definitely have been here when I have been with other family members or friends that needed to have oxygen. I've never needed oxygen. So I guess that's a good thing. But it's um, it, it definitely is pretty cool being up here in this elevation. It, it, and it's God's country, whether it's right now covered in snow or when it's the beautiful springtime and everything is green and lush and amazing. Right. Well, God's country really is everywhere, isn't it? I mean, if you have the right mindset and the right attitude and uh, and you kind of clear out all the cobwebs, you can see any place as a beautiful place. That's um, so true. That's so true. I was definitely just using the slang. You know, people call this Colorado God's country. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is, it, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, God's country is not even country, God's, God's multiverse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it kind of puts me in mind of uh, one of the things that, that David Hawkins talks about in his books, where he, he actually talks about ugliness and, and beauty are, like, we were talking, I think about polarities or something somewhere along the way. And they're just kind of, you know, uh, focal points along a spectrum. That's all yeah. they are. And if you can, you know, move yourself back a little bit, kind of metaphorically, and look at it from, from a higher level, then you can begin to see, well, what happens is those two points that you originally saw start to get closer and closer and closer as, as you get further and further away. And so consequently, eventually you get far enough away that they're, they're the same point. Yeah. So ugliness and beauty actually occupy the same space on your, on your spectrum. And, and uh, as I was reading that, I was thinking, you know, that is a really, I'm, I'm going to put a judgment word here, a beautiful way to describe it. You know, some people might say it's a stupid way to describe it. But my judgment word is it's beautiful because it reminds me that everything in our life is ultimately a beautiful thing if we just look at it from the right perspective. Oh, I, I would so agree with you. and. I would say that from an expanded perspective, looking at it from the perspective of God, then everything that was created, everything that is, is, is an, it's one of the points in an infinite potential. And so 
the creative source, regardless of what people want to call it, I'm very comfortable calling it God. Now I went through my, my spiritual journey, my phases where I couldn't call it God. I had to call it spirit or source or, you know, something other than God. But I was, I was working through some trauma with God. And as I growing up in a Catholic church, I got, you know, relatively traumatized with a lot of things that were, um, you know, taught to me that eventually I discovered, well, that's not necessarily the way that everything is. But as I moved through that trauma, I came to realize that this creator is a loving source and it's loving because it has zero opinion about anything. What gets created within it is, is loved because it is. So that that recognition of God began to change my perspective about good and bad and, and uh, ugly and, and beautiful. It really expanded my awareness to allow for everything to just be what it is without my my judgment, my my slanted perspective, because I grew up with um, a grandmother and and uh, who was just an avid gardener and for her plants were absolutely all plants were beautiful and then i ended up living with um i'll call her a stepmother my dad wasn't married to her <clears throat> but i'll call her stepmom who was very particular about the plants that she liked so i had a one one perspective that all plants you could do anything with any plant you any any plant weed whatever it was my grandmother saw it as beautiful, as something she could do something with, it had a purpose. If it was a weed, it had a purpose in the right place. It was going to do something practical. And then the stepmom, well, no, weeds were bad. And that's when I began to learn about killing the weeds and destroying the weeds, where my grandmother would move them to a place where they would make more sense. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all perspective, isn't it? It is. And that's really what we're talking about today, isn't it? The title of our episode is An Unfiltered Perspective, yeah. which I find uh, it's an interesting topic to begin with because, <clears throat> excuse me, so many of our perspectives are, like, I want to use the word tainted, tainted by the influence of our of our ego minds. And that shows up in the forms of, you know, different kinds of filters, conditioning, uh, training, um, different kinds of interactions we have with different people, as you yourself just described between your grandmother and your stepmom, that this is the kind of thing that we all have to deal with. And the problem is when we're very young, uh, all of our perspectives are kind of put upon us by the people around us, the adults who know better than we do and who have the right answers, you know, all of that sort of thing. And so our, our perspectives get, well, the word I, I'm finding coming up for me right now is tainted. We, we may begin our life in this world with no filters whatsoever. We're just ready to be totally awestruck and wonderstruck by the amazingness of the world. But it doesn't take long for that conditioning to start. I mean, it happens almost immediately for most, for most children. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm witnessing that with my grandson. Yeah. And my my daughter who happens to be i'm going to say pretty conscious for for her age for her stage of life relatively conscious but she's also grown up with me 
So she's grown up with a mom that's been for almost 20 years, an awareness coach and, and an ascension coach, helping people become more aware and ascending to a higher perspective. Right. So she's had that benefit. But even with that benefit, you know, she's 33 years old. So she's only had me in that role for 20 some odd years, but she had me, you know, 13 years as an unconscious parent programming her, giving her my perspective. And of course, I was always right. I mean, of course, there was never. No, I was always right. Um, and I'm watching her with her son, very mindful of not imposing her her opinion on him. And it's really beautiful. My grandson's only 10 months old. And my daughter talks to him and asks him, you know, what's going on? Why are you crying? Even though she knows he's not going to answer, she is not only practicing with him at this age, what it is that she believes is important for her as a parent, but she wants him to hear from a very young age that his perspective matters, that she is going to take it into account. She was mm -hmm. relaying a story last night that was so, um, you know, kind of fascinating, but it's the way, it's a such simple example. However, it's so profound because she was talking about a friend who has a, a child just a little older than my grandson who who can speak so i think that child might be about 18 months old you know just a few few sentences or a few words and that little girl fell and started crying and her mom immediately said to her what do we say what do we say i mean the little girl didn't quite get her crying and her tears out of i mean she just fell and the little girl starts going i'm i'm tough i am tough i am tough and my sister or my daughter was like, what? This little child was not allowed to say, I'm, I have a, I'm hurting. I don't feel good. I, um, you know, just cry immediately. The mom programming that child that her perspective needs to be that no matter what happens, doesn't matter. You're just a little kid. You're tough. you got to be tough. And yeah. how many of us, when we fall and hurt ourselves, I know a lot of adults, me included, I, I'm going to have a cry if I hurt. I'm going to sure. want to get ice pack. I'm going to want to tend to it. I'm going to want to take care of it. I may, it may just require a margarita. I'm, I may need to do something. Exactly. But as adults, we can tend to our issues, but then we train these kids, be tough, don't cry. Boys don't cry. Girls don't, you know, whatever. So it is, it's like you said, it's an indoctrination that happens from a very young age. And this little girl, I've coached enough people. I know you have too. If you grow up believing that you're tough and you never show your emotions, well, that that's going to create a lot of problems because she's not going to be open emotionally. She's, she's going to yeah. think if I, if I share my pain, I'm weak. Um, and I don't want to be weak because I'm yeah. tough. And then I don't want to let mom down and not be tough like mom taught me to be. So the cycle of, of conditioning becomes so solidified that, that that child grows into an adult that doesn't have an honest perspective about what's happening here because she has a filtered perspective of exactly. what somebody else told her was the right way to react to that situation. Right. And as you were describing that, I mean, I know I had a reaction. I said, oh, my God, how could that woman treat her child that way? As soon as I asked myself that question, uh, the answer came to me. 
Well, just imagine the kind of stuff she got treated with when she was a little girl. Yeah. You know, she may have been the kind of person who, you know, she cried or something and she didn't have a mom to protect her and say, hey, what do we do? What do we do? Instead, she had to deal with a, an angry stepfather or a drunk parent or something like that who would just whack her across the side of the head and just tell her to shut the F up. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that might be the way she was brought up. And so she just learned to be tough. And she probably had that mantra in her head. What do we do when this happens? What do we do when this happens? What do we do when this happens? And I'll bet you she doesn't even, she's not even aware on a conscious level yeah. of how she's taking that same learning and transferring it to her child. Or, you know, she could have grown, because again, we don't know. I know you're just uh, having Yes, she could have grown up in a military family. I, yeah. I remember my dad was military and yeah. there was a level of, of things had to be done a certain way. I mean, the way we had to make our beds. And I remember the whole story, you bounce a quarter off of it. And we were little little girls because it's four little girls. Um, and we had to fold the corners of the bed just right and everything had to be perfect. So in a way we weren't told you have to be tough, but the bed needed to look a certain way. And that perspective of how the bed looks, I mean, it went with me into adulthood to the point that yeah. I was a bit of a Nazi with my kids about, you know, making their beds until I can own that too. <laughs> and, and then I, you know, went through my journey and I began to realize what, who cares if the bed, the corners are folded or not, who comes into my room? Nobody comes into my room, hardly ever. You know, the only people who came into my room a lot were my children when they were little. But other than than, you know, my husband at the time or my partner now, nobody else comes into our bedroom. So who cares? But I realized that I like making the bed because it feels good. So yeah. my perspective shifted that I like to make the bed because it feels good, not because it has to be done, because that was the only way that I could get approval from my dad. And right. of course, that was the only way he could get approval from his sergeant or whatever it was that that came in and did the checking. Um, so, yeah, these these perspectives are so ingrained and they form. They form how we show up in the world. And the thing about that, that when we live with somebody else's perspective as our truth, we are so inauthentic because not only do we not know really who we are, but even when we begin to inquire into who we are, we're afraid to show ourselves because we've got this voice in the back of our head that we're breaking a rule or that we're yeah. letting somebody down. And my goodness, it takes so much time to work through um, what I call hand-me-down beliefs, you know, and, and it's like my family hand-me-down clothes. We four girls, we did a lot of hand-me-downs. But we don't have to accept him me down beliefs, not unless, of course, we want to. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really uh, that's where I think all of us uh, can learn a great deal. If we can just uncover the beliefs that we have right now. And I mean, even if you just take a piece of paper and just start writing them down, you know, what are the things you believe? And. You know, you might start off with something simple like, well, I believe that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Okay, God, that, that's a simple one. Write it down. That's great. No problem. Uh, I believe that money doesn't grow on trees. Oh, there's a good one. Now, let's just keep going with that. Stick with that thought for a little while. I believe that it's uh, 
It's not good to have lots of money because then you are a crook. You see, you I don't know what you believe, uh, Lina, or how, what kinds of beliefs you had, but I have certainly held beliefs like that in my life. And what I've learned is that if I write all these beliefs down and without any judgment, just note them and write them down, then later I can come back to them and I say, well, is this really true? Or, I mean, you don't have to do it in that order. I just find getting them all out of my head and on paper first and then examining them one at a time. I find that more useful for me rather than just looking at one and letting it myself be distracted while I'm trying to focus on that. So that's my approach. I just write down the belief and it, it could be something harmless like I just described, or it could be something that's really deep and uh, very, very dark, uh, deep in the, in the unconscious mind and hard to pull up. But oftentimes the beliefs that you are able to say out loud actually lead to deeper beliefs, which come from maybe a belief about yourself. Well, I'm, it's not good for me to have money because I'm not good enough, mm -hmm. you know? And well, why do you believe you're not good enough? Well, um, because everything I do um, is doesn't meet with mommy's approval. Maybe that's where it comes from. Or maybe uh, daddy is really rough on me when I don't get an A plus on my you know, my English or whatever, whatever the story might be, I, I come to a, a belief somewhere along the way that I'm just not good enough. And so it, it makes sense that I wouldn't deserve money. I don't deserve money in my life. You know, I'm not good enough. So you see, this is why it's so important to, to do the deep dive and to look at what it is you currently believe and then decide, is this a useful belief or not? And if it is, go ahead and keep using it and maybe modify it a little bit. But if it's not a useful belief, then what can you put in its place that will actually support you and help you to grow and become more open and, and you know, just blossoming more into the truth of who you are? So I think if we can start with our beliefs about things, then we can kind of get to the nitty gritty underneath it and start working on the little shadow beliefs that are maybe not so obvious. and help ourselves to grow and integrate all that stuff back in. Oh, absolutely. I agree. In one of my workshops, we have an entire day. It's a five-day workshop. And we spend almost the whole day going through some exercises where we take something that you love in your life and we, we basically work backwards with the beliefs. So what do you love about that? Oh, I love how it makes me feel. Um, and so, you know, tell me more. And well, it's because it reminds me of my grandmother. It's the color that she liked. Tell me more. You know, we keep going back and peeling the layers. Well, it's something that I did as a child. And it was special because I, it feels good. It reminds me of my grandmother. You might be hearing my little grandbaby in the background. It must be nap time. He must be fighting a little bit. He has the perspective that he may not be ready for bed. And mom may be thinking, I'm going to put you down. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> often around here. And anyhow, so you peel back the layers and be, and you realize that this thing that you enjoy doing as an adult is because it reminds you of a good time that you had with your grandmother. And she was wearing purple the day that you did that thing. So you are having this experience. that's so wonderful. And it activates your desire to, you know, whatever, something purple. And you can peel it back to some beautiful memories. Then we do the exact same thing with something today that you don't like. 
And what is upsetting in your life today? What's upsetting that I don't have, you know, my husband didn't, didn't, wasn't nice to me today. Well, what, what must you be believing about yourself to experience that? Well, I, I'm believing that he doesn't love me, that he, he doesn't appreciate me, that he doesn't. Okay, and you peel back. So when was the first time that you experienced not being appreciated by somebody that you love? Well, inevitably, we go to childhood. Inevitably. That's I mean, right. there is no way around it. Yeah. And, and we may go to maybe uh, high school or middle school, and then you still go further right. back and further yeah. back. We inevitably end up in childhood. I have, I have helped so many clients peel back layers, many of them into the womb. Yeah. Because or even beyond. Well, yes, even beyond. into a prior life. Absolutely. We, we definitely do that. And, mm -hmm. but the typical, the typical beliefs that we work with are even as far back into the womb, because they have to do with this lifetime and we're energy beings. You know, that's why I had to make peace with my relationship with God. Cause I came to realize, Oh God, unlike what the Catholic church told me is not some old bearded man on a cloud somewhere with a big staff dispensing punishments. Um, no, it's energy. God is consciousness. God, source, spirit, creation is, in, is pure intelligence right. where everything comes from. Mm -hmm. So when you peel the layers back enough, not only can you get to the womb where energetically you pick up the vibrations of your, your mother or the environment she happens to be in, but yes, you can go beyond uh, being born, beyond this life and find uh, memories of past life. But if you go further back still, we all reach the same place, which is the place of, of creation where there was no freaking belief. So That's if right. there was no belief there, then they yeah. must all have been made up. So it's quite, it's, yeah, it's quite. Oh, the yeah, that, that, that is a very important statement that you just made. It's <laughs> all made up. All of it. And it really is. Most of us don't realize that. Most of us think there's a reality, an objective reality out there that just exists. And most of it is not true. Most of it is our imagination. We put our imagination and our projection onto everything. And it all comes out because of our own, you know, our own. Well, I don't want to say it's all ego mind, but it is mind for sure. But yeah. the ego mind certainly has a big part to play in it. And the oh, ego yeah. mind is what creates our many of our perspectives and filters and biases and all the rest of the stuff that, that we've been talking about so far. Yeah, but I like that. It's all made up. It, it's all made up. Totally. There is not a single thing that that humans have come up with that is not purely made up so much so that somebody else will undo it the next time. You know, somebody else gets a little bit of power, they'll undo whatever you thought was so wonderful. Um, the next scientist discovers something that's even better. So it's all made up. And that's, you know, as you and I have talked about before in the Course in Miracles, because uh, we're both students of the Course, the one of the things that, that is so important for every student or every course student to really get is what is stated in the introduction. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. So if what is real cannot be threatened, it's that essence, it's that energy, it's that, that, that which is eternal and is always there and will always be there. That cannot be threatened because it's pure, pure consciousness. 
And then what is not real does not exist. Nothing, uh, you know, unreal exists is because it's made up. And nothing that we make up, and this this is a beautiful thing about humans, not a single thing that we make up, come up with, will ever be eternal. That tells you right there that we are dealing with that which is eternal and that which is temporary. And that which is temporary is humans made it up. You know, one of the things that is made up that is, is wreaking havoc with humanity is the whole perspectives around God, the religions, the that this is what God is, that and it's this way and it's male. Typically it's a male God. And mm-hmm. and it's a it's an elderly male and it has because we make we make up even religion. We make God in the in the in our own image. And mm-hmm. because it's primarily men who have made up religions is it has this fatherly figure and that that um most likely and i i am definitely uh utilizing my coaching experience to make make this statement but most likely the males who made up this story about god had an issue with their own fathers so they projected this fatherly figure on god and that's what we've been told is what god is so we have to peel all those layers because when you peel the layers of every single religion, you always come to the point where somebody made it up. It wasn't there. It didn't grow on a tree somewhere. It wasn't in the Garden of Eden. There was no religion tree in the Garden in the Garden of Eden. So somebody made it up. And um, it's a lot of freedom in that, but there's also a lot of fear in that yeah. when you find out what I can, I'm creating my own reality. And yeah, you're perceiving everything based on perspectives. Who did you pick them up from? You know, do they fit you? Do they feel good? Do they hurt you? Do they, you know, that that's that's an important thing that most people, if they are supposed to in this lifetime or whichever one, reach to that place where they can peel the layers back enough to where there is nothing there they will find the source of everything yeah that's that's really quite uh, quite lovely um the way you describe that and and i totally resonate with what you're saying i mean this is it just seems like truth to me uh (laughs) and i know you you and i we haven't followed exactly the same path to get where we are but we have followed very similar paths and in some cases, I think we've we've kind of meandered over the same territory several times, you know, uh, but in different ways. And, you know, you're right. I, I think my first exposure to all of this stuff was with uh, Neil Donald Walsh in the Conversations with God. And I really fell in love with his writing and his way of describing things. And I think I read pretty much all of his books. And it wasn't until sometime later that I got into uh, uh, a Course in Miracles. And I've, you know, I've read through the material. I, I really like it. I think it's awesome material. And and now I'm reading A Course of Love, which is also a beautiful book. Yeah. Uh, all of this is really, really wonderful material that helps us to learn how about our filters and how we can start to pull them away and begin to see, re, see truth as it is. That's what these these books are about. And that's what I love about them. And, and, you know, David Hawkins is another example. We mentioned him at the beginning with his power versus force and the whole series of books that followed that. I mean, brilliant, brilliant material 
that uh, all of us, I think, would do well to read. And of course, the problem is in today's world where we have, you know, less than 30 seconds of attention span, uh, it's pretty difficult for some people to sit down with a book or even use a Kindle form and read a book that way. They, uh, they're so easily distracted. And that's because the ego mind is just active all the time. And what we have to learn to do is quiet that ego mind down. And that means doing meditation, prayer, uh, you know, something that will bring you back to the present moment. Yeah. Well, you know, th that's absolutely, I agree with you 100% on that. And the reason we can be in the present moment, two, two reasons. One, we were not taught that as children, which is something that we're going to foster with um, my little grandson, Ryder, is he, even today, just, it, just a simple, simple example. Um, when he woke up from his nap and I happened to be watching him while his mom was um, out teaching, he woke up and he was in his crib and I could see with the monitor that he was totally completely awake, eyes wide open, but he was quiet. He was peaceful. He was just looking at the bars, you know, on the crib and playing with touching them and playing with a little stuffed animal um, that he holds. And he was so at peace. And I let him stay there. It's like he's at peace. He is in, in stillness, in curiosity. He has no words in his mind. So he has no egoic thoughts because he doesn't have thinking yet. He doesn't even know words yet. So his mind is totally, completely quiet. All that's happening is there, there's a movement of curiosity. There's just a this sense of wonder, like you had said earlier. So absolutely going to let him enjoy the stillness, the quiet for as long as possible. Yeah. And my daughter wants to foster that. And which is one of the reasons she doesn't want to put him in, in um, daycare because when he has his quiet time, she wants him to enjoy his quiet time versus being in a class with even little kids, his age, 10 months, 12 months, 18 months where, Oh no, we, we one child schedule. Everybody absolutely scheduled. So yeah. that's one thing is that we are born with that, but we are not reminded how to how to cultivate, not cultivate, how to foster what is already naturally, natural in every single one of us. We all enjoy stillness. We do as children. That's where imagination gets so active. And then the other side is that when you become an adult, we are basically conditioned, like you were just saying, into busyness, that the idea of being still and quiet, you think, have I lost my mind? I'm, I have no thoughts. I must be going mad. Um, there is there is this insanity about staying busy, busy, busy all the time. And, you know, there was a, a while when I was going through my process and I was learning how to meditate, how to get still, how to contemplate how to find quiet. And I could peel back the layers, the perspectives that did not belong to me, all those hand-me-down hand beliefs I had to give back to my mom, to my dad, to government, to the media, to everybody else. And being left with only what was true for me, there wasn't a whole lot of thinking. For a while, I, I thought, oh my God, I'm in my 40s. I'm having Alzheimer's. I, I don't remember stuff because the mind wasn't busy. I wasn't used to not having that constant track 
running in the background, the to-do list, the, the responsibilities, the planning for the future, that what happened in the past, yada, 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 that keeps you in a state of constant anxiety. Right. So we, we definitely, I agree with you. We've got to get back to that place of stillness. One of the things you said there that I really liked, you, you, you talked about how when you first started doing the meditation, you had this, this fearful thought pop into your head. Oh my God, am I losing my mind? Yeah. And yet, isn't it ironic that <laughs> that's precisely what you wanted to do? Yes. You know, I'm losing my mind. That was your ego mind telling you, hey, I'm still here. You can't just get rid of me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. And and in fact, you're not really losing your mind, of course. You're just simply quieting your mind. And quieting the mind is is actually a beautiful, beautiful experience. Yeah. And it it does take a little bit of effort if you're not used to it. You know, this this idea of meditating, uh, coming back into presence. My son has been showing me a, a, a process that that he learned through a man by the name. I think his name is Barry Long. Have you heard of him? Yes. Oh, beautiful, beautiful teaching. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, his he has a very simple meditation process that does require you to sit. You have to sit still. And the reason for sitting still is so that you can focus your attention on the sensations in your body. And this is similar to what other meditation teachers uh, focus on, which is about the breath. But the beauty about focusing on sensation is there's sensation somewhere in your body almost all the time. So you can just allow your attention to move around to those different spots. And what I have learned by doing this for myself is that when I bring my attention into, let's say I, I feel a little bit of tightness in my shoulder, for example, so I, I just kind of focus my attention. I bring my, my focus back into my shoulder. I'm still breathing and I breathe my breath into that spot in my shoulder. I speak to that spot in my shoulder. I said, okay, do you have a message for me? And I wait and just listen. And what's, what's beautiful about this is that there might be a message. There might not. If there is a message, then I can hear it and I can say, thank you for that message. Is there anything else? And what happens is very, very soon. I mean, it, this all happens in a matter of a few seconds to a minute, probably at most. The sensation just kind of fades. And then I notice a sensation somewhere else and I start moving around. And before I know it, I have done 25 or 30 minutes of meditation. And I haven't really entertained any thoughts about the past or worries about the future. It's all been about the sensation. Yeah, in the so present moment. Yeah. And what exactly right. Every sensation was happening right now. And what also is interesting about this is sometimes the sensations can be pretty intense at first, like I said, uh, like a pain in your shoulder or something like that. But once that's been resolved and you move on, the sensations get less and less and smaller and smaller until after a while, you really have to focus on the whole body. Okay, where am I feeling something? It's beautiful. I love it. It's one of my favorite meditations now. And talk about quieting the mind. It it brings me present, and I and I feel totally relaxed and uh, stress free as a result of doing that. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely beautiful. And to be able to come to that place where you rest in this now moment is is so powerful because when we come to the present moment especially earlier on in, in, in cultivating a meditation practice, 
you begin to realize that every thought that you have is about the future. It's a worry about the future or a memory of something that somebody did to you that you didn't like in the past or that was so wonderful in the past you want to replicate in the future. Because right. it's, it was it's always about projection into the future. That's Absolutely. right. It yeah. was bad and I want to avoid it in the future or was so good and I want to replicate it. We, we do not have now moment thoughts until we begin to enter into the place that we cultivate a relationship with the, the perceiver of the thoughts, the thinker of the thoughts, the essence of who we are without thoughts. Then we can literally have without past and future involved, an opinion, a perspective, a, a sensation about something as it is in that moment. And what's so amazing, I don't know if you've experienced it this way, but what's so amazing for me is when I enter that place, I experience myself completely fearless. When I'm in the present moment, there is zero fear. Yeah. And that's when I get the most incredible intuition, the most incredible um, ideas about how to deal with whatever is in that moment, because I, I don't need to enter into meditation to be, to have a quiet mind. That, that's just the way that I have. It's just what has happened um, because of that practice. And if my mind gets really busy, no matter what's happening, I can very quickly shift out of whatever it is that has my attention and go to the to being the presence of awareness, aware, okay, what is it that I need to know in this moment? A beautiful teaching from the Course in Miracles. God, what would you have me do? You can only ask that question now. What would God, what would you have me do tomorrow? Who cares? What what should I, God, what should I have done about this 10 years ago? Who cares? Now, what would you have me do? Because this is the point of power. And a quiet mind, cultivating a quiet mind puts us in touch with the part of us that is one with the creative source. That's yeah. that's where that relationship where I got comfortable with God. I call it God because everybody calls it God, but it told me it doesn't matter what we call it because it 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 is. And it could it said you can call me Buddha, you can call me Bambi. It doesn't matter. Um you know, then it's just a label. It's made up. Sure. <laughs> it's made up. But how beautiful to get to the place where we discover our creative self that makes things up. And then you can begin to decide, do you want to make up things that make you feel good? Or you want to make up things that make you feel bad? And from that, that simple place, oh my goodness, why would we make ourselves suffer? You know, it's the end of suffering. Exactly. Suffering. You said two words that I think are important here. Um, you said it kind of lightheartedly, but you said, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> and I think actually that is a very, very good and deep question. If I were to ask it out of a place of more curiosity, for example, I notice I'm having a thought about, uh, God, what would you have me do tomorrow? And now I can ask myself, well, who really cares about the answer to that question? And if, immediately what comes to my mind is, well, my ego mind cares about what, what the answer to that question is. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that, this is a way for us, the who cares question can always, I may not always come back to, a, to a, an ego mind, but probably will. 
especially if the thought is about something in the future or some worry about the past or some, you know, whatever. Yeah. If you, if you ask yourself, well, who cares about that? And in truth, you'll hear this voice. Well, I care about it. And that is your ego mind talking to you. Oh yeah. So, yeah. so thank you for that. I'm going to remember that question. And when it, when I do my own work, if I have a thought like that, I'm going to re remember to ask myself, well, who cares about that? Well, and let me let share. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to share two other words that I use often in coaching, you know, the who cares for sure. But the other two words is so what? Yeah. Because I have had people that have had incredible, incredible realizations. You know, you get a, a cancer diagnosis. So what? So what? And the person's like, what, why are you, what do you mean? So what? Yeah. You're so supposed what? to be having pity on me right now. I know. And they stop and think about, so what? Yeah. So what? And they will then begin to say, yeah, so what? I'll deal with it when I have to deal with it, when I've got to make plans or, but in this moment, you got a cancer diagnosis. So what? And mm -hmm. people don't realize because again, it goes back to what we've been talking about, the conditioning that we need to know, we have to have everything figured out. There's no room for imagination. There's no room for curiosity. So you got this cancer diagnosis. Well, we have to have this specific medical protocol. And this is the only way that you can fix it. You can deal with it. And inevitably, when people begin to ask themselves, you know, so you lost a job, so what? You're getting divorced, so what? If you can get to the place that you can really be in that so what kind of a of a frequency it just lets you know that you're going to be fine no matter what yeah. all that is happening is going to continue to happen and it will reveal to you um whatever needs to reveal to you in that moment but if you can observe whatever is happening with the either who cares or so what it's absolutely a point of power you know um there are quite a few things that I've learned through the years, especially after I made peace with with um, God and made peace with with religion and understanding. It's, it's all made up, so I don't have to be mad at these people. All the people that are teaching what they're teaching today are teaching what was taught to them by somebody before them. So, you know, why be upset with them? So what if they're teaching stuff that is not true? I don't have to get upset about it now because it doesn't affect me anymore. Um. But that process of getting comfortable with, with uh, religion allowed me to begin to play around with the Bible. And there are so many gems in there. You know, when it says that in the beginning, God created us in its image, I realized, oh my goodness, what that meant to me is we were made in the image. And I, I think of the word image. We were imagined by and when I play with the word a little bit more, you know, made in the image, I was imagined by a magi. So it's all magic. It's all imagination. It's all, you know, it's fun. It's creative. It's playful. And yeah. it, it just gives me permission to let go of these human um, conditioning and open myself up to being a magi, to being, to imagining, to letting myself be like a little kid again and just not know anything so that I don't have to give it such a serious meaning. 
So you get a cancer diagnosis. I had a friend. I've had quite a few friends who have had cancer. I've watched the ones who made it such a serious thing. And inevitably, they're all gone. The ones who were more of a, okay, I got a okay, all right. Well, what, what am I going to do with this? They may not have said, so what? But they went, okay, so what can I do with this? How can I work with this? They went on an adventure. And... Many went on the paths, you know, natural things, or some went down the path that was traditional. Those people, not all of them are alive today. Some extended their lives and had a longer time here on planet Earth. But the ones that had that sense of adventure, they really truly didn't have emotional suffering. They had yeah. the physical discomfort, mm -hmm. but in their minds, they were present to what was happening. And in that, that not arguing with what was happening, not arguing with their experience, they were, you know, connected to something within that gave them the strength, the energy, the, the creativity, the intuition for what to do next. And those were the ones that I watched go to the completion of their, this lifetime with a state of peace. The other ones, oh my God, they were suffering all the way down to the very to the very last breath because how is the world going to survive without them? <laughs> Will their children make it? You know, yeah. what's going to happen? How is the world going to survive without me? <laughs> you know, guess what? There's been uh, several billion people before you who have already passed on and hey, we're still here. <laughs> and you're going to come back. I mean, this is yeah, yeah. life is a circle. Yes, yes. Right. Well, you know, this is really fascinating stuff, and of course, all of us uh, would. I think I, I, I'm not. I, maybe I shouldn't say all of us, but I believe that all of us ultimately are seeking higher levels of consciousness, even if we don't necessarily know the right way to do that. Yeah. And the the, the challenge is, of course, once for each of us, once we get to a certain level, uh, we think. We may think, oh, well, I've reached that level now, so I'm I'm now uh, like a, a green belt in karate. You know, I've reached a certain level, and I can't backslide. <clears throat> and that is kind of a, a, a problem that we have to deal with because each of us has to deal with our ego mind, no matter how how enlightened we may be. You know, I'm going to share a little experience with you that I had uh, last week. Um, just to give an example. Now, I, I've done a lot of personal growth work, just as you have, and I and I maybe I have a little bit too much pride about how much growth work I've done. But anyway, let me just let me just des describe the situation for you. So I was out walking my dog out in the local park, and you know my dog was off leash. We were just you know he was doing his thing, and then a guy comes from the from you know this direction. He's running towards us. He's he's just running. And uh, Apollo, being the curious and, and, and friendly dog that he is, started kind of wandering towards the guy. I called him. I said, no, 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 Apollo, come here, come here. But he ignored me and just kept trotting towards this runner. Well, this man who was running was clearly upset with the fact that my dog was disturbing his peaceful run through the park. And he just kind of lifted his knee, knocked my dog out of the way, and just kept going. And with he said something, you know, kind of nasty. He kept going for a while. 
And then I happened to look back and I saw that he turned around and was actually running back up behind me. Well, uh, he came up behind me and he made another nasty comment, said something about, if you don't get that dog on the leash, I'm going to file a lawsuit or something. And I kind of laughed out loud and I said, well, I'll tell you what, you go ahead and you do what you have to do. Well, apparently that was the wrong thing to say. That was probably a little bit of an ego mind jab on my part. But he turned around and he accosted me physically. So we ended up getting into a scuffle. I kind of tried to defend myself, but I didn't do a very good job. And I took several blows, one to my to my face here, a, a blow to my left thigh. I got a sore back out of the deal. Um, and as you know, sometimes when you hear people, you know, with a black guy, they say, you should see the other guy. Well, I, I said that to, to a few friends of mine. Yeah, you should see the other guy, not a mark on him. <laughs> but anyway, so that's kind of what happened. I did come home. I limped home. I filed a police report. My adrenaline was still running. I was kind of upset. And, uh, but afterwards, I did settle down and I, and I regained my composure and I started thinking about this whole thing. And then I happened to see the black eye. And I just asked myself, okay, so what is this trying to tell me? What is the point of this black eye? And I can't remember the exact words that came to me, but it was a pretty clear message. When you clear your own junk out of your eye, then you will see things more clearly. Yeah. And I thought, wow, now that's a pretty powerful aha moment. Yeah. I obviously have got some filters that I'm still looking through. And that's really where this topic was coming from, because I, I want people to understand that, yeah, you're going to you, you'll do lots of work and you'll elevate your consciousness and stuff. But sometimes you'll have shit like that happen. And you may not react as your highest self. You may not necessarily, you know, be om uh, mani padme home and turn the other cheek as as these grand masters would like you to do. So the first recommendation is don't beat yourself up for that. You've already got enough pain to deal with. Instead, bring compassion and love to yourself and see what you can learn from the situation. See what new awareness can be awakened within you and take that to your next step. So I've had to do a little bit of, you know, I can, my ego mind still chimes in with certain stories. Oh, we're going to get even with that guy. You know, we're going to find him. We're going to, next time we're going to punch him out. And I, I'm saying, no, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. Thank you for your thoughts. I'm asking you to release that. And I'm trying to stay in that place of forgiveness. You know, I don't know what was, what was really going on for this guy. I'm sure he's he's been a runner before. He's seen lots of other dogs off leash. Did he beat up those people too? I doubt it. So something was going on for him. So I want to just bring as much compassion as I can onto him for whatever he's suffering. And that way I can release myself. Anyway, that was what happened. And I, I think I got a lot out of it. So yeah, just well, wanted to share that. No, I, I thank you for sharing that. And because yes, as we're moving through this journey, we are still on planet Earth, we're still having human experiences. But as the Course in Miracles and a Course of Love teach, everything is either people are being loving, and they're being joyful, happy and free, 
or they're calling for that and ourselves included. And every single one of those um, opportunities is really, can we be the presence of love? To me, that's what being enlightened, you know, if you're in, in the light, you see clearly mm-hmm. back to what you said. Let me look at what's in my own eye. You know, what, what's the filter that I'm looking through that has me get a black eye so that I can see that I've been looking through a filter that has been dark versus a filter that is clear because if the filter is clear then it's a call for love it's absolutely a call for love and i i i absolutely believe that we can achieve that many people have achieved that uh, in this lifetime and that's what we are being accelerated into is that the world right now the more rage people are experiencing, the more anger, the more frustration is because there is an acceleration to clean up our vision. We are seeing things too distorted. And the creative source of all that is, yes, we have free will to create whatever we want to create. And darkness is part of what we can create because we can block the light. We can put our hand up in front of the sun and block it if we want to. But at some point, and I think most of humanity today is tired of blocking the light. It's boring to keep doing the same old ugly thing and and just reacting in the same way. I mean, to me, there's nothing fun about being righteous anymore. I get no joy out of it. Um, So it's it's an absolutely boring thing that I don't want to keep repeating. It's absolutely boring to keep giving my power away to people in authority position. It's boring. I don't like that. It's not fun anymore. It was fun before when my consciousness was such that, oh, I don't have time to focus on that. I've got to take care of this. I got I got millions to make. You know, I've got to build my persona. You take care of that over there. Now I'm realizing we are one beingness and some of this oneness is calling for love and the rest that is at a certain level of consciousness, of awareness, we're here to begin to be the ones who can have the compassion for all the insanity. For the, you know, Jesus said it so perfectly. They know not what they're doing. I didn't know what the heck I was doing when I was so unconscious, picking fights or being righteous. Or I remember as you were sharing your story, I remember one time clearly, this was in Houston. Um, I happened to be there. The guy that I was dating lived there. So I was was visiting and I I was at the time lived in Florida and people in Florida and people in Houston and Texas are very different. We had, we, we wore, you know, bathing suits and flip-flops and, and sunscreen and, you know, drinking pina coladas and listening to Jimmy Buffett. In Texas, they drive around with guns in the back of their car. Well, somebody cut me off and I I gave them the, the finger. And what did this person do? They came up right next to me, told me off, pointed at the gun that was behind them, and basically let me know, you know, if you talk to me or whatever, think you, you know, you're going to talk to me that way or give me the finger or disrespect me. I'm going to pull my gun out, little lady, and I'm going to shoot your ass. It was really clear. I never experienced that in Florida. Nobody ever got crazy like that in Florida because they didn't, we didn't care. We didn't have gun racks in Florida. I know. So I almost, I almost could have been shot. I could have been one of those Mm -hmm. statistics of road rage. 
Um, and yeah, but at that time I didn't have the compassion for, I didn't have a compassion for others. I had zero compassion for me. Right. Whenever I had something that upset me, I was like, you know, okay, get over it. Mm-hmm. I called myself nasty names. I, I was shooting myself with, with horrendous uh, words and, and put downs. So I was doing that to me. So, uh, well, um, congratulations on having that experience be a lesson that you were able to, to receive awarenesses from. So and I, I always love that about you because to me, the, the people that I most admire are the ones who have the integrity to look at their part in what is happening, because that is where it requires an incredible amount of honesty. And if we can't be honest enough to inquire, peel back the layers, why did I say this? Why did I feel that? And mm-hmm. you're into that place within where you're willing to, to get those lessons, um, you know, we're, we're part of the, I'm not going to call it a problem, but part of the opportunity for growth versus the ones that are the examples of another way. Yep. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I like to look at my life and I, and I think back, it wasn't that many years ago, really, when I would have, I would have really engaged that guy and I would have given him what for, it wouldn't have been that, that long ago. Um, I'm grateful that I've reached, reached the point now where I, I just didn't allow myself to, to fight him specifically. I did allow myself to, you know, put my arms up and defend myself and try and push him away and stuff, but I wasn't interested in fighting him. I wasn't interested in hurting him. Uh, I felt good about that. Even as it was happening, I didn't like the fact that he was, you know, beaten up on me, Yeah. but I was grateful that I, that I found that place within me not to fight back and to create an even bigger problem. Um, so that, that does show to me that I have grown significantly over the last few years. And I'm really, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, now the Course in Miracle says in our defenselessness, our safety lies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and when they say, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, we've, we've talked about this, this phrase before they don't mean to um, uh, give up your sovereignty when they talk about defenselessness. They're talking about avoiding being defensive because it's so easy. I mean, the ego mind always wants to defend itself. And if you can just be open and vulnerable, then defensiveness kind of goes away and you can now just be present to what is. Yeah. And And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And to be present with what is, you may have to throw a punch. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if the mind is not engaged with all those uh, perceptions that we got indoctrinated with, you know, I'm a man, I shouldn't, it should be a macho man, I should hit back, I shouldn't let somebody hit me. Oh, my goodness, all that thinking kept you from having that, that, that space within that, you know, this guy is hurting, he's, he's clearly wherever he was, even if you had your reactions, you still were able to see that that's not the place you wanted to stay in. What was Apollo doing when this was going on? Oh, interesting. Yeah, he he didn't really know what to make of it. He was barking. Um, I didn't see him uh, jump up and attack the guy or anything like that. He was pretty, he was kind of staying out of the way, really. Oh, yeah. 
I asked. Uh, he, was fine. he didn't get hurt. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I mean, asked. really, yeah, I got a, a black eye and a sore a thigh on my left side and a little bit of a back pain, but really hurt? No, not at all. It yeah. could have been, who knows? If I had escalated it, it could have been a lot worse. Yes. So. Well, I was asking about Apollo because um, we adopted a, a dog back in, in September and she, I have never had a dog that I am so in love with it. Mm -hmm. And she, with me, we're so, so connected and, but she is so protective of me. I mean, it started from day one. And even when my honey would come and give me a hug, Sandy, our dog, she would just let him know, wait a second, that, that, that's my mom, you know, that that's my person. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. even though she was already gr full grown four years old and it, it was really interesting because whenever we go for walks and she gets really i don't take her off leash um only in the park in the dog parks we will do that but not in like neighborhood she does not would not allow anybody to come near me and uh get get vicious like that and we just got we did a DNA test and, and got her results back and she's a hundred percent pure American uh, pit bull. And mm -hmm. I've heard things, stories about pit bulls. You know, I've got those perceptions about pit bulls. This is the sweetest dog I've ever had. So to me, my perception of a pit bull is, is the most loving, gentle pet ever. But mm -hmm. I see in her that ferociousness that if anybody ever attempted to do anything, especially to me, she may go for the jugular. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. I'm not going to judge my dog about it. I mean, he didn't. Of course not. He, of course not. He's he's aggressive with other dogs, but not with people. Oh, and see, and Sandy's not, and Sandy's not with other other dogs. Interesting. Yeah. I know. They, they, everybody, we all have our own um, personalities and and ways right. of dealing with everything. So, as always, it's always fun sharing stories with you and. Um, always, always well, we've had a pretty, pretty interesting discussion today. I think we've covered a lot of ground about perspective. And I think, well, I think what we have pointed out is if you can find a way to remove the filters and the biases and get down to the truth, you'd probably be much, much happier in the long run. It has happened for me. So I can attest to that the process works. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I would not want to carry the heaviness of that old righteousness that I used to operate under. So, yeah, great summary. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with me again, Lina. It's always fabulous to spend time with you. Um, do you have any final words you'd like to say before I close out? Well, just what the Course in Miracles says, that a miracle is a shift in perception. And I didn't realize what a miracle was until I gave myself the miracle of a peace of mind, just total, complete peace in my mind. When I let go of righteousness, I shifted out of how things should be and allowed myself to just, oh, isn't that interesting? And um, boy, was that a miracle? <laughs> great. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you for those who are watching the recording to, to be here. And just a reminder that this and all my other shows will be on my website at yourlifemasterycoach.com. Um, we'll see you next time on Wake Up Calls. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Bye-bye.